Thank you. Thank you again, choir and band. This morning, when I, I want to let you know that when I wrote my sermon during the week, I knew that we would have all these young folk here, and I knew that there would be our young folk over in the south porch, as usual. It's good to see all of you over there. Thanks for waving back. <laughs> and uh, so I wrote it with them in mind, with our young people in mind on this, uh, for the Sabbath. Then, as the week progressed, still with our young people in mind, but also with an ear to what, is, what took place in our church this week, I rewrote some aspects of the message. Now, if some of you are like, what took place in the church this week? You don't know, just be glad. Um, but if you've been on Facebook or certain websites, you would know. But, so with that in mind, I invite everybody to listen in. The principles apply to all of us, but know that I am thinking particularly of our young people today. So, uh, you close your eyes, just don't fall asleep. It's okay to close your eyes. I see some yawning back there already, so. Uh, but it's good, good to, uh, to have you all here. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this, the young people here. We thank you for your grace towards us. We pray that you'll speak to each and every heart in this room. Guide and direct our thoughts. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, there are texts out there, there are Bible texts out there that have probably done more harm than good. Not because of what God said, but because of the way people have utilized those texts. The first verse of today's reading that we read, uh, Raymond read today, 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, just might be one of those texts. There is a reality, there is a truth that young people or those in the younger demographics are all too familiar with, even when they are of an older demographic, and even though when they're an older demographic, they will likely do the same. It seems to be a curse that we pass on from generation to generation. And that curse is this, that we tend to, when we, are, when we get older, we tend to look upon those that are younger uh, with a little bit more, uh, with, uh, look at them a little less, maybe look at them with a little more circumspect in certain things. In our text today, the Bible says, do not let anyone despise you or look down upon you. Some versions say look down upon you. The word there truly means to think little or nothing of one. To think little or nothing of one. There are many uh, of certain generations that feel that older people, whether it be their parents or whether it be their teachers or whether it be their pastor or whether it be the members of their church or whether it be just society in general, think little or nothing of them, that they don't hear them, that they don't, that they don't uh, address the issues that they care about. Many young people are probably correct in their assumption of feeling this way. They're probably correct to assume that there are adults that actually do hold the opinions or hold the ideas or hold the, the, the gifts of youth in a lesser light than they would those of their peers. Not all adults, of course, not all adults, we would say, but there are, in fact, some that do that. And young people, you should be mindful of this reality and try to say, make the commitment, I'm not going to do the same, because there is a great propensity in life that as we get older, we do the exact same thing at which we did not appreciate when we were younger. 
With that in mind, here is why I believe this text has caused more harm than good. This week I went online and I was looking at and I was studying First uh, Timothy chapter 4. And I went online because I wanted to see what, what some of the sermons and what are some of the other ideas are out there. Now as I read these articles and I read some of these uh, sermons and I read some thoughts about, about this text... And then I began to try to recall how, in my life, how this text has been referenced or specifically used. And, and, and between the, the things I read online and between my own memories, the things that have been shared with me maybe in school when I was younger or in my early ministry or, or just personally one-on-one, in much of what I read and in much of what I remembered, I saw that this text, especially when utilized in addressing those that are younger, that this text seems to focus on what I outlined above, all the negative. How the young are looked down upon and how we need to give them a better experience. The negative experience of our young people due to older individuals not treating them with the respect they deserve in church. The negative experience of our young people due to older generations failing to utilize the talents and gifts that are in our midst. The negative experience that our young people do uh, our experience due to us uh, arguing about situations that they're passionate about but not including their voice in that discussion. These are all valid points. But it is not the point of this text in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And so, to, so today I want to talk to our young people about the true point of this text. Now let me pause real quick to say on a side, on a side note a large percentage of us, in fact, I would say the vast majority of us, uh, are young in someone's eyes. So just include yourself in this message as well. There, there might be a few of you in here that look around and say, I don't think there's anybody in here that is older than me. And then just say, well, I'm young in the Lord's eyes still, or something to that to that matter. But everybody usually is young in someone's eyes. So although my focus is specifically those that, that maybe all the world would define as young uh, from one generation to the next, this text can really apply to all of us because the principles of the text are universal and they are not limited to age. The texts are universal. So back to what I was saying. The feelings of young people, the negative experience of young people are valid, but they should not be validated by this text because this text isn't focused on others. This text isn't focused on others and what they may or may not feel about a young person or another individual. The text in and of itself is actually focused on personal responsibility. Something that seems to be gravely missing in our modern world. It's very easy in our modern world to look around and recognize that everybody thinks that someone else is doing something wrong and they're the only ones doing something right. It's probably something also that unfortunately it seems to be missing in our church as we have various discussions even this week of looking and saying someone else is doing something wrong and I am the only one in the right. There's always, one thing to understand young people, there is always plenty of blame to go around. There are always plenty of fingers to point and things to point at Christianity. But, but Christianity and the health of the church as we see in this passage, does not begin with someone else changing. It does not begin with the church doing a better job or the older people in the church doing a better job. It begins, Paul says, it begins with the individual in the mirror. Paul begins our text in 1 Timothy chapter 4 saying the following. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12. Let no one look down on you for your youthfulness. 
let no one look down on you in your youthfulness. Or some of your texts will say, let no one despise you for my youth, for your youth. In my younger days, in my uh, younger youthful days, I would have taken this almost as a challenge. Uh, uh, don't let anyone look down on you. Yeah, I'm not going to let anyone look down on me. I'm going to stand up for myself. I'm going to prove to them that I deserve to be heard, that I should be heard. I'm going to prove to them that I, uh, that I should be accepted the way that I am. I would have received this as a, as a challenge. I, I, I don't even have to spend even one minute trying to think of moments in my life in which I decided, you know what, I'm going to prove to someone or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to respond to someone in a defensive nature. I remember, for instance, one time when I was at a camp meeting in California, and as you know, as I think I've shared in here before, I didn't always look the way I look now, and at that point in my life, I had these pants that, um, that probably hung quite a bit down my body, and um, I, I, they were big and balloon kind of-ish pants. I am so grateful that I did not live in the generation of skinny jeans because I would have died. I was, when I was in Croatia last year, I put on some skinny jeans. Some of you might have seen the post on Instagram. And you know that it would not have been a good look for me. So, but, but this, in, when I was in this camp meeting, I was wearing these big pants. I also used to have, as I've shared, uh, hair that, that definitely did not look like it did now. It was, it was uh, sometimes bright white, you know, sometimes orange, sometimes half white, half brown sometimes yellow, sometimes various other colors. And at this time, if I recall, it was a bright bleached white, and I had it standing up, and I would hold it up with glue because I wanted it to be solid. So I would put Elmer's glue in my hair, and I would get it so that it was solid. Another thing you can use is egg whites. Don't, don't, I mean, uh, egg yolks. I mean, so, but anyways, kids don't do these things. Don't, don't try these things at home. Don't do as I did. Do as I, no. Okay. And I was sitting there in the back of this camp meeting, and there was this older lady that was sitting about three rows up in front of me, and she kept kind of looking at me out of the corner of her eye. She kept kind of turning back, looking at me, and then she'd look ahead, she'd look at me, and she'd look ahead. And inside of me, I started to think, does this lady think I don't belong here? Does she think I shouldn't be here? You know, why does she keep looking at me? You know, does she think that I, she doesn't accept me for who I am? I started to get really defensive. Why is she looking at me like this? And so I decided in my youthful heart that I needed to kind of defend myself. And so when she looked back at me for maybe a fourth or a fifth time, just kind of to glance back at me to make sure maybe I wasn't doing anything to her, I decided to do this. I, she looks back and I go, what? Did you see that one? Her face got this terrified look on it and she... She did not look back again, you know. That's not what this text is saying. It's not saying that you need to, to defend yourself or, or to, to try to protect yourself. What Paul is actually saying is that we need to be aware of how others may perceive us and that we actually want to make it very difficult for them to perceive us in that manner. Young people, can I tell you if, that if you want to make the greatest difference in your church and that if you want to see the future of your church better and different than it has been in the past or maybe even is in the present, it is not by being critical of the church. It is not by leaving the church as some seem to be encouraging the young people to do even this week. 
It is not by complaining about what the church isn't right now. The best thing that you can do is you can set the example for the church. 1 Timothy chapter 4 says, Let no one look down on you, on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show, your exam, an exa- so show yourself an example of those who believe. Show yourself an example. I read in the second part of this verse, Paul addressing two areas in which uh, an example ought to be set. Paul says, set an example in speech and in conduct. And I see three qualities or three characteristics that should infuse those two areas, our speech and our conduct. Love, faith, and purity. We should set an example. Young people, we should set an example. I can still consider myself a young person. Am I still qualified? Yes, thank you. They said yes. Who said no? No, someone people said no. Set ourselves an example. Three causes that should, should infuse those. So we should set an example, young people, in speech and in conduct. And three qualities that should infuse that are our love, our faith, and our pe- purity. Young people and those that are young at heart, do we really want to make a difference in our church? Do we really want to change people's views of how they see us? It is not about fighting who other people are. It's not about trying to change who other people are. We can spend all day long wishing that the church was different and wishing that people in the church were different and wishing that, that their opinions would be different and wishing that they would listen more to our opinions. But that is not gonna change, unfortunately, the vast majority of people. So what can we do? Paul says we can set an example in speech and in conduct, that we have loving, faithful, and pure speech and loving, faithful, and pure conduct. A young person, but all of us really, must first of all be loving in our speech and in our conduct. What does this mean? This means to not be arrogant. It means to not be rude. It means to not be critical nor cruel or sharp in word or in deed. Even if that's what we observe happening somewhat in the church around us and we are disappointed in that, what would it be if the young people of the church said, we will not join in with that critical spirit. We will not join in in that nature and in that tone. What I did to that lady was rude, it was arrogant, it was, it was, it was definitely cruel. Probably she went home and cried. This young boy was gonna hurt her. That is not what God calls us to do. He calls us to be loving in our speech and in our actions. If you don't feel, young people, that the church is loving, then you, in every day, every week that you're here, and every action associated with the church, Make sure that then you are setting the example for what love looks like. If you don't believe that the church is welcoming in a loving spirit, then then set the example for us. We must be loving, but we also must be faithful. Faithful to our commitments, faithful to our, our friends, our school, our church, faithful to our God. We also must practice faith in that we believe that God really is the almighty and all powerful God. Many young people are discouraged, uh, older folk, because they see an overwhelming lack of life change in the lives of those in the church who claim to have faith, and yet they see a church that operates without true powerful faith, and rather just operates under their own will and their own power. Well, 
You can do nothing about what has been, but you can definitely do something about what comes next. If you don't see change in the lives of those around you, it's not for us to say, well, I wish they would be different, or I wish they would exhibit more faith. I would encourage you as young people to to put your trust and faith in the power of God to do mighty things in your life and allow him to change your heart. Let it start with you. See, Paul isn't telling Timothy to spend his time worrying about those people that may look down upon him. Instead, what Paul is saying is turn your eyes back towards yourself and remember to live for me. The truth is, is the church is made up of flawed people. And as long as we look at other people, we will always have a reason to leave. But if we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, then we will always find a reason to stay. The third quality that that Paul mentions is purity. Now, purity is one of the hardest journeys in in our modern world. I think it's getting harder and harder for each passing generation, uh, it seems like, in our day. But I believe it was also a challenge for Timothy as well. In the city of Ephesus, where where Timothy uh, lived, it was kind of like a a modern-day Las Vegas. Uh, Can any of you young people tell me what's the the motto of Vegas? I hear a few of you whispering it. It's okay, your parents aren't going to bust you on this one. What happens in Vegas, what? Stays in Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. This shows that I might be old because, you know, when I was young, you know what the, the motto was? Fun for the whole family. That's uh, definitely a, <laughs> I guess that wasn't making very much money in Vegas. But it was fun for the whole family. But now it is what happens in Vegas. And Ephesus was a bit of a Vegas type of setting. Ephesus was home to the Greek god Artemis. Any of you heard of Artemis? Artemis was the goddess of f- uh, fertility. And people were drawn all over uh, to worship Artemis because of worship of her, uh, to worship her because they were promised several things. They were promised a number of things if they worshiped Artemis. Two things in particular, though, that, that attracted people to this was one, that worshiping Artemis promised for fertility, and worshiping Ar- Artemis promised, they believed, sexual fulfillment. The worship of Artemis included many seductive and sexual acts. And this is the city that Timothy is in. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 19, Paul describes the city as a place full of sensuality and every kind of impurity. Sensuality and every kind of impurity. Yet Paul specifically reaches out to Timothy and calls him in this environment to still live a pure and faithful life. And in our culture of extreme immorality, in our culture of extreme temptation, I believe the appeal still goes out to both young and old, but I'm addressing the young right now, still goes out to the young as well, those who may may be most susceptible to set the example in purity. To set the example in purity. This is about what goes before our eyes, young people. This is about what goes into our brains. But it is also about the stories that come out of our mouths, the experiences that we share, the things that we, that we talk about that maybe we should not. I believe God still calls the young people of this generation, as he called Timothy, to set the example for the older generation. I believe that in the last five or six years, our church has not done a very good job of setting the example for the young people in our church. I believe we have failed in, in, in our views and, and in not addressing some of the things that they are concerned about. 
But I believe God then calls the younger generation then to rise up and set the example for those of us that are older. Through loving, faithful purity in speech and loving, faithful purity in conduct. Now, I want to give you what I believe is the easiest way to live by these characteristics. Because I know from experience that it's hard to be loving. I know from experience that it's hard to be always faithful. And I know from experience that it's hard to always keep a pure mind and keep a pure mouth. I understand that these can be challenging experiences. But I believe the text gives us and shows us the best way to live by these characteristics. And I believe it is shown in the rest of the message to Timothy. Paul says, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Paul said to Timothy, set this example, and how do you go about doing this? Faith, love, and purity. But how so? Paul then tells them to continue to preach. Now, am I telling all of you to continue to preach? Not exactly. There's probably not... Probably not all of you are preachers or teachers. But from what I see that Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy has the gift of teaching and preaching. And what Paul is basically saying to Timothy in this text is to continue to use your gift. Paul says, let no one despise you. Let no one look down on you. Uh, don't, don't let anyone think of you as nothing. Make it hard for anyone to do this. How? By setting an example for them in two areas of your life, in your speech and in your conduct, with three characteristics, love, faith, and purity. And then Paul tells young Timothy, and use your gifts to serve God within the context of the church and keep on using them so that others can see you progress in your faith. Timothy's gift happens to be preaching and teaching, but the principles apply to all of us, the young and the old, to all of our young people here in particular. You, each one of you, have gifts that God has given you, gifts that you should be using in the Lord's work. God gave you gifts, not just to use them for your sake or for someone else's sake, but to be used in the Lord's work. Rather than wanting to leave the church, as some encourage you to do, or complaining about the church as some model for you or encourage you to do. Your, use your gifts to help make the church all that it should be and all that God has called it to be. Not only does this bless, benefit, and bless and change our churches for the better, the Bible says that it will also be a salvation work on you and it will be a blessing unto your lives and the lives of others as well. The Bible says ensure, it will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Here's what I found, young people. I found, I've always found this to be true. When I am most engaged in serving the Lord, when I am most engaged in using my gifts for Him, that is when I am most closely aligned with His character. That's when I'm most likely to live in love, 
faith and purity. When I'm sitting around and I'm kind of observing all that is going on, when I decide to not be as involved as I could be, I tend to be less loving and more critical. It's just the way it is. When I'm, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm not engaged, when I'm not using my gifts for the Lord, I tend to be less faithful in my devotions, in my prayers, in my commitments. When I am not using my gifts for the Lord, I tend to be less pure. My mind has more opportunities to wander when it's not fully engaged in the things of God. I believe the best way, young people, one of the best ways to live lives that are loving, faithful, and pure is to be in constant service to our God, in constant service to our God. It's like the old uh, illustration that they used to use about water flowing into a, into a pond, and if there's no way for that water to go out, then the water becomes what? Stagnant, becomes stagnant and stale. Just this, a couple weeks ago, I was, had some leaves in my, um, in my pool, and I thought, well, I need to get those out, and I don't want those to get all in the filter, and so I turned off my filter, thinking, okay, eventually I would get to my my, I turned off the water and the filter and all the things. Eventually, I would get to my cleaning out those, those leaves. Well, a day went by, a couple days went by, three or four. Christina confirmed in first service that basically two weeks went by and I did nothing. And so the other morning, we woke up and our pool looked, after the rain the other morning, our pool looked like the green on those leaves, like literally that dark. You could not see the bottom of it. It was all green. I thought it looked beautiful. Christina did not think as much and she said I really don't think our pool even though we're not swimming in it that that is good for our pool and that maybe we should do something about it well why had it turned that way because I turned off the filters I've turned off the flow of the water going in and out and the water had just become stagnant so yesterday I went out there I put some chemicals in the pool I turned back I cleaned out all the the filter spaces I I put the turned the filters back on and the water back on and the vacuum back on and you know what this morning I woke up just in one day this morning I woke up, and guess what? You could see the bottom of the pool. Now, it's not perfect, but it's on its way. It just illustrates the point that, folks, if we are involved, if we are using our gifts, and there's constant flow from us out to others, that God will use us, and not only will it be a blessing to others, but also, but also, it will help us to walk more closely with God. So again, I say, use your gifts to help make the church all that God has called it to be. I recently saw a link on Twitter, and it caught my eye with the heading, What happens when a group of millennials decide to plant a church instead of leaving the church? Having planted a church in my life with Pastor Jason and being definitely interested in that subject and always wanting to learn how I can reach more people and reach especially Younger generations, since I am getting a little bit older as much as I hate to admit it, I clicked on the link and basically I discovered a link that told the story of a group of millennials, a group of young people, millennials and even younger, they're that next generation, Generation Z. Can you believe we're already to another generation, Generation Z? So millennials and Generation Z that decided they didn't like what they were observing, that they didn't feel that the, 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 the context in which they were in was fulfilling the mission that God had for them as young people. But instead of complaining about it or instead of, of leaving the church, they decided not to leave, but they decided instead to set an example 
for the church in, in fulfilling a mission that they felt the church was not fulfilling. And I'll quote from their website. This is the, the mission that they feel they have. To make the Bible and key biblical passages such as the three angels' message from Revelation 14 relevant and real to collegiate and young adult millennials in San Antonio. And there they are, this thriving group of young people, not a old people overseeing them, a thriving group of young people setting the example. And their story, and as I read more, it inspired me. Well, I'm well beyond all of their years, but they still inspired me. And young people, I want to speak directly to you. I know that Pastor Andrea, with our youth, and also Cecilia, with our young adults, are working in multiple ways to give you the opportunities to use your gifts. We maybe always haven't done the best we could in the past, but even down at the middle school, I know they just had a meeting and they're looking to look for opportunities. Their leadership team is looking for ways to help the young people use their gifts more too. Here's what I wanna say to the young people in our church. I wanna say this, as your pastor, I will do everything in my power to help your, you use your gifts for the glory of God's church so that the church can become what it is supposed to be. As long as I am only doing something or the older people that have a little different color hair than y'all out there are doing something, the church will never be what it is supposed to be. If you have ideas and dreams and visions, even if you came to me and said, Pastor Chad, this is just not working for us and we want to start another church, I will figure out every way I can to back you 100% in that. We will do whatever we can to reach our young people. And we make that commitment to you all. Pastor Andrea, I know, is already building teams within the Sabbath school so that our young people are our teachers and not just the older generations as well. The older I get, the more I realize that I need the older generation to mentor me and I need the younger generation to challenge and inspire me. And I would say that's true for all of us in this room. So I commit to our young people, not just, I commit to our young people that we need you, or I ask our young people that we need you to be our example if we are truly going to reach the world, if we're truly going to reach the world. I'll close by quoting our prophet. She has said this, Ellen White said this, the Lord has appointed the youth to be his helping hand. With such an army of workers as our youth, rightly trained, might furnish how soon the message of a crucified, risen, and soon coming Savior might be carried to the whole world. To whom are to be committed the vital interests of the church when the present standard bearers fall. We cannot but look anxiously upon the youth of today as those who must take these burdens, must take up these burdens, and upon whom responsibilities must fall. These must take up the work where others leave it, and their course will determine whether morality, religion, and vital godliness shall prevail, or whether immorality and infidelity shall corrupt and blight all that is valuable. Young men and young women, can, can you not form companies and as soldiers of Christ enlist in the work, putting all your tact and skill and talent into the master's service, that you may save souls from ruin. Let there be companies organized in every church to do this work. Will the young men and young women who really love Jesus organize themselves as workers, not only for those who profess to be Sabbath keepers, but for those who are not of our faith? And then her last quote, youthful talent, well-organized and well-trained is needed in our churches.
Young people, let no one look down upon you. Set for us the example in conduct and speech through your love, your faith, and your purity. And by using your gifts to reach people for Jesus and helping us to become the church that God designed us to be. I am the father of three young boys, and I see a church that in a few years will have no young people unless we allow them to be the example and to be the leaders of our church. So may we commit to that before all of our kids wander away. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Forgive us for not empowering the young people the way that we should have. Forgive us for the example we've set in the church this week even. Forgive us for those who are encouraging our young people to leave or to say this is the last straw. Forgive us for those who are talking negatively about the church. Forgive us, Lord, for not hearing the opinions of the young people on issues that matter to them. Forgive us for not caring about justice in this world the way the young people do. Forgive us, Lord, for not allowing our young people to use their gifts to not only change themselves, but to change the world and even to change those of us that are older. Lord, I pray that the young people that are in this room will use their gifts, use their speech and their conduct to change this church and to change the world for your glory. In your name we pray, amen.